Blog Talk Radio. Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. Ooh, and hello, modern lovers. So great to be back with you with a wonderful guest and a lineup for you today on how to live life more fully. Our guest today is Kelvin Chen. And we're happy to have him back because he has written a brand new book that I think is going to be very exciting, very useful, and is right up our alley. The book is called Marcus Aurelius, Updated 21st Century Meditations on Living Life. Now, you all know that from where I sit, meditation is not only medicine, but it's one of the most powerful tools you can implement for your health, your wealth, your happiness, your relationships, your success, whatever it is you want in life, having your mind in a healthy state is important. It's as important as exercising and feeding your body. So I want to tell you a little bit about Kelvin Chen, then we've got a great question about cheating that is came in on our doctor, Brenda, and then we're going to get into our interview with Kelvin. So Kelvin has been working for more than 40 years to support people in navigating their lives with more ease and joy. He focuses on helping others to tap into their power, teaching them techniques, new ways of thinking, and how to become more self-sufficient and effective in their lives. This new book about meditations was created to help us think about the key areas of our lives in a practical way to increase our enjoyment of life. Now, if you don't want more enjoyment in your life, this book isn't for you. The book includes topics on dealing with emotions, life principles, meditation, of course, spiritual insights into love, forgiveness, pursuit of happiness, free will, destiny, meaning of life, and so much more. There's a lot there to dig into, very meaty, very rich, and very useful. But first, let me tell you that if you live anywhere on the planet, you can join me and our special guest Thursday, April 22nd, for a complimentary free, a.k.a. free, live event, New Life After Lockdown, Spring into Love and Prosperity. Now, we're all dealing with a world we've never seen, never known before, For many people, it's created profound stress. We know there's been a 33% spike in divorce globally, 33% spike and higher than that in some countries of violence toward women in their own homes, and just a lot of depression and anxiety that has overwhelmed many people. And this is a time for us to look at what is new life going to be like, because it will never be the way it was before. What will our relationships be like after lockdown? How do we generate prosperity? 
in a new way because there will be new avenues, but it all starts from within. So this is a one-hour, 15-minute training. So you can't tell me you can't invest an hour and 15 minutes in creating your new life after lockdown. We're going to give proven practices and principles you can take away. You can go to Eventbrite right now, grab your seat. I repeat, it's free. You've got nothing to lose. Or you can email me at love at docwade.com for more information. Now, quickly, here's our Ask Dr. Brenda question. It says, Dear Dr. Brenda, the pandemic requires my husband to work from home, where he spends his day interacting with clients via video chat. In the last few weeks, he spent more time with one of his clients, a woman that he's known for over a year. She calls him during the day and in the evening, requesting information, which seems to go beyond business. I've mentioned my concerns to him about this woman, but he says she's just asking for help. How do I get through to him? That her behavior is inappropriate. This is signed, concerned wife. Oh, my goodness, my dear, it is not about her behavior. It is not about whether she's inappropriate. She is not the problem. Your husband is at home. It's on video chat. You're there. The issue is your communication, your connection, and not talking about her, but rather talking about the two of you. How do you deepen the love, reignite the passion? This is an opportunity for the two of you. If you feel someone is a threat, don't give them more energy. Put the energy into your marriage. And there are all sorts of tools to help you with that. Uh, Certainly, you can join any one of our programs because learning specific proven tools to strengthen love, find love, grow love is what we're all about here at Modern Love Relationships and Training. So take that, take it to the bank, and put it to use. Okay, now let's go to our guest, Kelvin Chen, who's the executive director and founder of both Overcoming the Fear of Death Foundation and the nonprofit Turning Within. He works with audiences on death and dying, which is a big taboo issue. We don't like to talk about it, but every one of us is going to get to have that experience or help someone we love go through that experience. Kelvin has taught numerous seminars for the healthcare industry, was a state-certified long-term care ombudsman for the California Department of Aging, co-founder of the Center for Medical Ethics and Meditation. He has so many wonderful chapters on his resume, including the U.S. Army, going to West Point. He was also the chief marketing officer and had roles in law firms and so many other things. Kelvin, it is such a pleasure to welcome you back. Yeah, great to be here with you again, Brenda. Now, you know, having just read a bit of your bio, I skimmed it. There's so much there. How did you move from roles that really took you out into the world of business, you know, West Point, the Army, being a CMO, to becoming interested in meditation and the inner life? What was that journey? I think it, yeah, it actually worked the other way around. I got interested in meditation when I was a teenager and um, I learned when I was a teenager, and I was very stressed out, and that's why I learned. I needed some sort of, as you said uh, in your earlier 
uh, introduction comments, um, you know, about how you're, you, you, you encourage people to meditate in some form to help themselves. I, I, I was desperate at that point in my life, and so I stumbled on it. It turned my life around, and I learned how to teach it. And so, now, what form um, of meditation yeah. were you you doing? Because as a teenager, that's really yeah. unusual. Right. Yeah, I was at, I was at college and uh, high pressure. I was at Dartmouth, you know, and uh, very high pressure academically, et cetera. And um, I was actually one of the uh, one of the students that actually had to go to class and study. You know, I actually had to read the books. So some of the, <laughs> some of the some, some of these guys there, they came out of some of these high-end private schools before they went there, and they had already read all the books, I think, and they show up for the exam and ace it. I actually had to work. And so um, I was very stressed about, you know, everything that was going on there. It was an all-male school at the time, not co-ed. I'd come out of a public co-ed high school. Uh, Which means uh, even more competition and more with people with their elbows out jockeying for position if it's an all-male school. Oh, it was unbelievable, yeah. All of that elbow jockeying, even outside the classroom, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so um, I needed something, and I and, and I happened to uh, stumble into somebody's dorm room where somebody was talking about meditation, and I thought, well, that's interesting, so let me look into this meditation thing. And then I, I went to a lecture, I, so I kind of surveyed several different types of meditation, and then... Um, I found uh, transcendental meditation, a teacher talking about it. Mm. And, I, and, I, and I, what resonated with me, I was pre-med at the time, uh, and I um, was into science and stuff. And so the, the scientific studies that they had started doing on TM meditation at the time in 1970 mm-hmm. when I learned got my attention. And I actually then later became involved in some of those early studies on Meditation published in the Journal American Medical Association in 1971, 72, etc. So I, I, I learned TM, Transcendental Meditation, as taught by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Right, uh, yeah. Right. You and the Beatles and everybody else working with <laughs> yeah, Maharishi the back in the day. There are a lot of books about yeah, that. The, yeah, so I was how a couple did you years, go from? Years after the Beatles. Yeah, how did you go from TM? Because mm-hmm. this is a mm-hmm. big leap now, and. Mm. I assume you've been practicing meditation all these years. Mm-hmm. How did you go from that to studying Marcus Aurelius? How did you make that? Yeah. What was the attraction? Yes. So I've been meditating for 51 years, but I have been a, I would say, a philosopher, uh, uh, kind of an armchair philosopher. <laughs> uh, in other words, not through academics, but but a philosopher or somebody who thinks about life and thinks about how we can live life and how do we live life and why do people do this and why do people do that. I think that's what initially attracted me to the field of psychology, uh, you know, when I was an undergrad. And um, But uh, um, that is something that's been part of my, I would say, my wiring, my inner fabric to think about things in, that, in these different ways forever. And then the meditation uh, marries up to that, I think, by expanding my capacity, my conscious capacity to think about things, by expanding the conscious capacity of our minds, right, of my mind. In exactly, my case, with my, with exactly. My yeah, for those right? who don't know, I'm going to throw just, you know, I'm a major yeah. geek, I'm going to throw a tiny little bit of science in. Latest mm-hmm. neurological findings actually looking at 
the bandwidth, physical bandwidth of the higher cortex in people who meditate consistently and persistently, they have more higher cortex. Now, that's the part of your brain that makes you intellectually smart and able to do reflective listening, cognitive cognitive work of all kinds. So meditation not only makes you calmer, makes you healthier, it makes you smarter. And all that makes you a better lover out there, modern lovers. Think about it. Sorry, just had to yeah. No, no, that's a great, a great segue. Now tell us about Marcus Aurelius because some people don't know about his work as a great philosopher. Right. So a a lot of people know him. Well, people may know him as a as a second century Roman emperor, but he was a philosopher, really. And and Marcus Aurelius, he did not want to be emperor. He wanted to be a philosopher. Uh, I mean funny story i mean true story he he would sleep on the floor of uh you know sleep on the floor floor right on the floor and it, and, it, and and his, when he was a young child because that's the way where philosophers slept on the floor and and so his mother finally got him to sleep in a bed when he was you know this is single digits old but he was very very um committed to the the life of a philosopher even when he was an emperor and so he wrote these maxims that most people today in 20th 21st century planet earth now know him through these what they call the the more contemporary people who who collected these they called the meditations of marcus aurelius uh, which are really a collection of maxims that he wrote from 167 a.d to uh, 180 a.d when he died and he mostly wrote them in his tent or in a fort, Roman fort, out between battles uh, when he was reflective and, and contemplative and thinking about right. his so own one of the, life. One of the things that yeah. he also talked about was people shying away from their emotional life Absolutely. in his work. Yeah. So that's yeah. one I think that probably has come back. Um, many people question that who know his work. How do you respond to that, and how does that fit together with what you've written about in your new book? Right. Well, a couple of things. One is that I think that um, it's true. He talked about uh, the emotions in more or less a negative way, but the way I interpret that is uh, as opposed to what? As opposed to rationally thinking about things. So, like, I have an essay uh, in my my book that – these are essays I've written over the last several years, a collection of 67 different essays in all those different subject areas you talked about. And I have an essay in here about the dangers of emotionally feeling good. Now, that's the title. Now, that may, uh, people may go, what? Isn't it good to feel good? Of course it's good to feel good. But my point, and I think he would agree with this, is that the human tendency, and this is, whether it's today or whether it was 2,000 years ago, is to go from feeling to feeling to feeling to feeling without assessing whether or not the behavior, the thinking that goes along with the feeling is healthy and healthful for us. And so and what you're talking why, about is integration yeah. of yes. the feelings, the mind, the, yes. the whole idea of the matrix, body, emotions, mind, spirit matrix. Exactly. Exactly. And the way I think of it now is the mind as a, as a whole. Now, we can talk about emotions 
separately if we want to. But in my experience, my experience is fluid. My consciousness, my mind, whatever you want to call it, my soul, my spirit, has a fluid experience mentally, emotionally. It is fluid. I don't go through life and go, okay, now I'm experiencing emotion. Okay, now I'm going to think about this. You could do that. You could try to bifurcate. But I think that's not the way most people spontaneously live their lives. Now, how do you weave forgiveness into this? Because that's a big theme in the book. Right, forgiveness. So I talk about forgiveness in, in here, and I talk about degrees of forgiveness. So the first thing I talk about in terms of forgiveness is this whole notion of we forgive and forget is completely a myth. Nobody ever forgets. People remember. So first of all, forget about that. Whoever came up with that, it's a myth. It's a mistake. It's not appropriate, and it's not helpful in living our life. So we, but we, can we forgive someone for, uh, we'll just call it bad behavior or behavior we don't like? Uh, yes, we can do that. But there, uh, I talk about the nuances of forgiveness because most people just think, oh, you forgive somebody, boom, you move on. That's not the way it always works. But there are, there are degrees of forgiveness. So I talk about the range, for example. On one end of the range is, you know, I forgive you. I accept what you did. It wasn't cool, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, and it's kind of like, you're, you're sorry. Okay, I got it. And you can move on from that. Uh, where you're more or less accepting what they did, obviously as an expression of who that person was at that particular moment, but you're okay with it. And then there are gradations of this, and there's several uh, gradations of this. Eventually, the final one is uh, I, I accept what you did as an expression of who you were at that moment. I'm definitely not okay with it. See you later. So, that, so there's a spectrum, and there's stages in between of forgiveness. And how do people about. access the ability to forgive if they're using the other principles that you've talked about, things like being able to meditate, how does that contribute yeah. to one's I capacity to forgive? That's a great question because I think we have to have – we have to – in order for us to forgive, we have to have a reservoir within us. If we're acting on like our if, – if our tank is almost on empty, it's tough. It's almost impossible to, 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 get, to, to get into a place of forgiveness, you know. So we need to fill up our tank and, 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 and be acting from a full tank of, 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 of energy, creative mm-hmm. intelligence, whatever you want to call it. And that's where meditation comes in because energy, we are intelligence, self-awareness, emotional, exactly. coherence. Yeah, right. There are a lot of words for it, but you're saying meditation gives us that, and it's a requirement right. to be able to forgive. I think it's the missing link, really. I think meditation is the missing link. Think about it this way. If dreaming and sleeping were enough to rejuvenate us every night, do you think people would be having so many problems in life? I'm not saying it would necessarily, all problems would go away if everybody was meditating, but I think it's the missing link because when we, because otherwise people would not be stressed out. Everybody would be pretty cool, pretty chill, and they're not. Worldwide. Yeah. And we do know, I do want to just back up what you're saying, we do know there's a ton of research that shows 20 minutes of meditation is worth two hours of sleep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the brain, the brain can only, guys, you all know this, you've heard me beat my little drum before, 
you can only renew, repair, and detox your brain while you're sleeping. The brain never sleeps, but it does need to go into a state of detoxing, repairing, and doing all the work it has to do just to keep functioning, like all the organs of the body. So should we be concerned? Here's a question. Should we be concerned Mm -hmm. with our destiny? How does that tie into the challenges that we face in life? Right. So to me, we need to define how people think about destiny. So there are different ways that people think about destiny. And if, and, 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 uh, um, the way that I'm okay with is if we think like, um, oh, Brenda, you know, like Dr. Brenda, you know, we happened to look at your website and boom, 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 and I contacted you and you contacted me and, oh, we were kind of destined to have this show together, this interview together. To me, that loose kind of use of the word destiny is fine. The, the problem is that uh, when people use a very kind of absolute, uh, absolutist, kind of view of destiny for example uh, it was my destiny to for xyz to happen regardless of any other uh, actions or consequences that is not the way life works we are free will free will free thinking minds soul spirit consciousnesses walking around the universe and and because of that and because of the influence of all other minds there is no absolute predetermination or destiny in that way, in the absolutist way. Yes, so you're speaking also, you're bringing in the idea of karma, people who believe that was mm-hmm. my karma, or that was that person's yes. karma, and that's why this bad thing usually, right. explanation for bad things, I actually heard a guru it, in India say that this terrible mm-hmm. epidemic of rape in, in India was somebody's karma. And I'm like, no, yeah. the person who did it no. is freaking responsible exactly so here's here's what i talk about i I unbundle karma in one of the essays also karma unbundled is called the essay is what the essay is called and karma is there are there consequences to one's actions absolutely yes but karma in the way that that guru in india is describing is absolutely false because it would it would negate the whole idea that there is free will and that other minds influence things, etc. There is no karma in the sense of absolute karma. That there's no uh, accounting system in the universe where so there's, there's not a script. You come balances. in with the script, and that's going to be your script for life. There's nothing you can do to mitigate or have any say exactly. over. You yeah, can well. come in with a script. You can come in with a script, but other things could mitigate it. Look yep. at the script. Look at the script that many people in a Christian country like the United States is mostly Christian. I know we're not all, but for, you know, for those who are Christian, I grew up Christian. Uh, and uh, the script of coming in and John the Baptist was to prepare the way for Jesus and that together they were to work jointly together. That was the script. That was the soul plan that was, that was scripted on the other side. Did it work out? We all know that it did not. So, Yes, you can have a script, and I think it's a good idea to have a script. But just like a business plan, does it always work out the way the business plan was made five years ago? No, we need to make adjustments along the way. And update it. And the update, if we're looking at all the things you're saying and how they flow together, 
it sounds to me as if you're saying if we prepare ourselves from the inside out, if we practice being more conscious, because, of course, meditation raises consciousness, it also makes us smarter, and all of these other things, then we are able then to engage in some of these higher-level principles and activities that you speak to because you're speaking to forgiveness. You're speaking to understanding life in a deeper way. You're speaking to people writing their own script for life and updating it, I would say, on a regular basis. Now, Mm -hmm. say a little more. We just have a few minutes left. I have so many questions I'd love to ask you. But say a little bit about, now, our audience are all people who are interested in having great relationships. How do the principles Mm -hmm. that you're examining in the essays in your book, and it sounds like a super interesting book. I am going to buy a copy because I like to support authors who write interesting things. How does how does all this fit with relationships? Well, I have a whole chapter on emotions, and then even some of the other chapters, like the Life Principles chapter and the Spiritual chapter, uh, include essays that are going to affect absolutely relationships and improve relationships. But just looking at the emotions chapter, for example, I talk about love and I talk about uh, what love really is and, and, I, and I unbundle and what it, is it somewhat. Yeah, what is it? What well, would you say I, love I, really I, is? To me, love is accepting the other person for who they are, not who we wish they were or who we want to mold them into being. I think love is acceptance in that way. Yes, it comes with feelings and so forth, and I'm not – I'm not, I'm not saying there are not other definitions that people can use of love. But to me, that essential one of accepting the other person for who they are, not who we wish they were, is, is fundamental. And I think it's one of the first things that's forgotten. Because so, I talk about this idea of unconditional love. To me, there is no such thing as unconditional love. To me, love is unconditional. To say unconditional love is redundant to me. You can have, un- you can have unconditional liking. Well, you can have conditional liking. In other words, sometimes I might like you, but you do this and I don't like you. That's not love. So to me, love is accepting the other person for who they are, not who you wish they were. Now, that does not mean that you accept everything, what they're doing, if they're hurtful to you, and you allow that to happen. That's accepting is not the same thing as I'm glad that you them. added that piece. It's, it's so different. important because it's to- it's none different. of these things are literal in terms of determining behavior, we have to use good judgment. And part of using judgment in a relationship is also being able, this is, of course, you know, the core of what, what we work with here with modern love training. Yeah. It's let being me give you able, an example. Okay, let me finish yeah. this one thought. Yeah, it's being ahead. able yeah. to take everything that you just said and also say, now how does that fit with me loving and honoring myself? So, example, I see, a, I, see a, I see a guy walking down the street with a knife on the other side of the or, or my side of the street. I see him on my side of the street walking towards me with a knife. My love of him allows me to – I see him, I accept him for who I think he is. I could be wrong, but who, he, who I think he is, and I take action, which means I walk across the street. I'm still accepting him for who he is. I'm not going up to him and saying, look. Get, you know, due to the, you need to change who you are, et cetera, et cetera. You see, that's the mm-hmm. distinction. So I'm still acting using my common sense in that situation. 
right? So uh, when Jesus and your and your impulse for self, way, yeah, for for self preservation. Yeah. Now with well, love, yeah. this is go ahead. I know you, you've got something else to say here about love. Keep say, going. When Jesus said when Jesus said love everybody, that's what he meant. It has been completely conflated uh, over the years, over the thousands of years, to mean turn the other cheek. You've got to love your. you got to love people who hate you. That's where the confusion lies, and I break that down in, in several of my essays. Mm. So, guys, on an esoteric, on a spiritual level, what I'm hearing, Kelvin, you're saying practice love. Practice self-awareness, meditation gives us that ability and strengthens that muscle in an extraordinary way. The other thing is when it comes to love relationships, may I add, there are skills that have been proven to work and lack of skill that will destroy any relationships. You can accept a person for who they are, love them, but you better have some good communication, some resolution skills, and also some strong, loving intention going in. Kelvin, you get the last word. What do you want the readers to come away with after reading your new book? And I love the title of the book. I think it's really beautiful. Marcus Aurelius Updated. 21st Century Meditations on Living Life. And what do you want us to take away from the book? I I would, uh, you know, I've gotten this and a number of the reviews that have been written on the Amazon book page already. People should check them out. But it it heartens me when I see that readers are using this as a reference guide. So they're using these 67 essays. They're dog-earing pages. They've got yellow stickies all over them, they said. And, and they go back to it, and, and they go back to it, and they go back to it. Depending on what situation is coming up in their life, they go back. I think I saw an essay on this. Let me hold it. Let me look at this essay. And they get ideas. Now, we each have to figure out life ourselves. I'm not telling people this is the way thou shalt have to think. No, these are perspectives. These are insights. These are ways to think about things. See if it works for you. Try the shoe on. Does it fit? Does it work? Great. Run with it. If it doesn't, shelve it, come back to it, see what else works. That's, that's the way people are using this book, and that, that's really what really And the hard core of what you want people to take from the book would be a philosophical approach to their lives using meditation as an underlying tool. What would be the most, so would what would be your it, highest it, intention for your readers? Yeah, meditation is a tool that I talk about in here, for sure. But the main thing is is for people to think about things in a consistent way that makes common sense to them and that may give them a new perspective in order to improve, to reduce their suffering and improve the quality of their life so that they can live life more enjoyably with themselves and with others. That's beautiful intention. That is beautiful. Everybody take that to the bank. Use the book to enhance your life your happiness, your enjoyment, and reduce your suffering. I don't see anything wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's reduce the suffering around here. Kelvin Chen, everybody, and he is available at kelvinchen.org. Yes? K-E-L-B-I-N-C-H-I-N.org. 
And you can definitely pick up the book he's already mentioned on Amazon, Marcus Aurelius Updated, 21st Century Meditations on Living Life. Calvin, such a pleasure. Thank you. And everybody, make sure you run, don't walk, to Eventbrite. Grab your ticket for New Life After Lockdown, Spring into Love and Prosperity. You're going to learn proven practices to enhance both your love and prosperity life. It doesn't matter where you are in your journey of love or prosperity, whether you're single, married, widowed, divorced, whether you've got lots of prosperity or you're hoping, wishing, longing, praying for some prosperity, these tools will absolutely ignite your consciousness and you'll get specific actions you can take. All right, and big, huge thank you to our producer, Cliff Dunning, And Cliff, so happy to have you produce this wonderful show for us and all you modern lovers, sending you blessings and light and love. Bye for now.